Hello, friends. Welcome to Something to Talk About, a podcast where different women come together to talk about the Word of God and the various ways it applies to our lives. This season, we are talking about the book of Psalms and the steadfast love of God. We've been exploring the intricacies of God's covenant love for His people and learning what it means to pour out our hearts to Him. I'm Amber Barrett, and joining Aaron and me in conversation today are Leslie Bogdanow and Shannon Williams. And Leslie, will you tell us a little bit about how you and Shannon know one another? Sure. Shannon is really one of my very dearest friends. I love her so much. So this is so fun. We met first when we were newlyweds and our husbands were playing together on the church's softball team. I don't know why we don't have that anymore because it was awesome. It was fun. Yeah. So that's where we first met. And then we really became friends through Wednesday morning Bible study small group. We were in a small group for a long time together. Yes. That's what I'm picturing young Leslie and young Shannon cheering for young Josh and young Brandon. Yes. It was very fun. Yes, yes it, it was. It was a good oh, time. It was just the, the mints. It yep. was not. But we were very good cheerleaders. Definitely. Oh, that's yes. good. All right. So our first things first question, we'll move into that. And the first things first question is, what is the first book you remember reading as a child? So Shannon, you're going to kick us off. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and then answer the question. Sure. So I'm Shannon Williams and my husband is Brandon Williams and he plays right field. (laughs) He plays softball. He's amazing. And uh, my daughter is Bethany and she is a senior at Westminster. And uh, I love Georgia football. I I try to think of things that Leslie and I love together just to combine us. And so we both love Georgia football. We both love uh, Westminster cheerleading. Our daughters cheer together. We both love 90s hip hop. And 90s rock. That's right. Uh huh. And uh, we both love our church very much. We've been lifetime friends. I was trying to think of when we met each other and uh, we're just forever friends. I can't think of. I was I was impressed you remembered. I couldn't remember. My first book, my grandmother was an English teacher. And so uh, I feel like I was read to very early I don't really remember my first book, but the first I went back because I have a collection of books from my childhood and I was looking at them. And the first book that I saw that had like a young age in it was called The Monster at the End of the Book. Mm-hmm. That's a good mm-hmm. one. And it has Gro- like you look through and mm-hmm. Grover is the monster at the end of the book. <laughs> and so that was my do first book. Do not turn that page. Yes, do not turn the page. And I loved Grover. He was very cute, so cute and snuggly. And so I loved him very much. So that was my that. first book. That is adorable. I didn't have that book and I feel sad that I didn't. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read that book to you. Okay, good. <laughs> Story time. Come over later, okay? <laughs> I'm Leslie Bogdanow. I work here at the church. I'm the elementary coordinator for the children's ministry. I'm married to Josh. I have three kids, Lexi Brewer and Carter, two teenagers and an 11-year-old. Something fun is happening in my life this month. If you don't know, Josh and I are three days apart, and we got married in between our birthdays. So that all is coming up. We call it the birthiversary. The birthiversary. That's, too That's cute. so funny. So uh, I'm the 14th. He's the 17th. Our anniversary is the 16th. And then Lexi, our firstborn, is the 21st. So everything is happening in one week. So uh, and it's our 20th anniversary. So wow, big time, big time. Yeah, we're going on a cruise. So that's what's happening soon in my life. First book, I was trying so hard to think my mom always read to me. The first book I could really remember was 
Happy Birthday to You by Dr. Seuss. Did y'all ever Mm -hmm. read that book? Classic. I can remember like watching her flip the pages and reading the rhyming words to me. So that's the first one that came to mind. So cute. I definitely have a legend has it. I was an early reader and I remember pretending to read even to my little brother um, (laughs) when I couldn't read. I would just find the Benjamin Bunny books and just like make up words to them like a little kid does. And then the first I was actually from then that point, apparently I read really young and then didn't read for a long time. Like I remember being in middle school, we had accelerated reader. Did y'all have that? Anybody? No, I was an accelerated reader. Yeah, well, so it stressed my mom out so bad that I would never read the books. And she's like, Erin, you're not going to pass sixth grade if you don't read the book and get the points. And I remember I was always like a book by by its cover kind of girl. And so I would, at the end of the little term, I would go and pick out the cutest books and Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry was like really cute book. And I picked that one. Super great book. I actually brought it with us to the beach this summer to reread it because I didn't remember a lot of the content. And my brother took it and read it. And so I didn't get to reread it. But that is the first book I remember like making a mark on me and thinking this is an important book and um, just kind of shaped my little middle school way of life. And my boys read that from middle school as well. And that that's was cool. one of the first times I heard them converse with me about something that sort of stirred them up, what mm. they thought was right or wrong, yeah. and have that conversation with me. So that's cool. When you said that you liked to try to read early, I remember my boys loved to read these Hello Carl or no, My Dog Carl books. I don't know if anybody knows this, but it's about a Rottweiler and you pretty much have to make up the story. There are no words. I was mm. like, oh, that's perfect if you're just learning to read. <laughs> But my husband's mother would always read these stories to them and she could make up the best stories. And my oldest has just a steel trap memory and and her name was Lolly. And so if he would come back, you know, a month later and she would read a Carl book, he'd be like, oh, no, Lolly, that's not how it goes. And she'd have to <laughs> oh, wow. search back in her mind to get the exact version. That's really cute. Yeah, it was, it was really cute. All right, well, we all love a good book, and I looked up what has been the most popular book in history, sold the most, distributed the most, and according to the Guinness Book of World Records in 1995, so I'm not sure how up-to-date we are, but mm-hmm. it was the Bible, was the best-selling book of all time with an estimated 5 billion copies sold and distributed. And if you think about why the Bible is so popular, you think it is a story of salvation and we all are searching for something that saves us, whether we realize it or not. And it's a true story, which makes it even better. And it's one that impacts our lives today. And the Psalm that we're going to be studying today, which is Psalm 119, uses 176 verses. It is the longest Psalm and it's actually longer than more than half of the books in the New Testament. So it uses all these verses to talk to us about God's word, to celebrate God's word, in particular, the blessedness and the happiness and the delight that it is to obey it. If you haven't read Psalm 119 yet, I do encourage you, you even if you don't read all 176 <laughs> verses, to hit the pause button and and read a few of them. Psalm 119, it's an acrostic. So each there's eight verses attached to each of the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, which makes 22 stanzas total, 176 verses. So read stanza one, which gives you an overview of the whole thing, and then the themes are are interwoven all throughout the 176 verses. Like I just said, the first three stanzas, they provide a good introduction to the psalm, its main theme, and its various minor themes. And Psalm 1 through 3 in particular 
introduces the idea that there is blessedness for those who walk in the way of the Lord's commands. And then verses four and following flesh out that theme. And it's a prayer. I think it's really important to remember that the psalmist is speaking not to his own soul and not to other people, but to the Lord. And he um, talks about all of his just longing and desire for the word and and to follow it. And he uses several different descriptive words in describing God's word. He says it's law, testimonies, statutes, commandments, righteous rules, rules from God's mouth, his counselors. And ladies, as y'all are reading this psalm, why do you think that the psalmist uses so many different terms to talk about God's word. He could have just used one over and over again. Why were his choices so varied? And how do you consider these different terms to deepen your own appreciation for the role of God's word in your life? You know, the different words make the psalm beautiful and poetic. I think Mm. using law 176 times might have felt a little uninteresting, but I think it's more than just for variety's sake. The psalmist wants us to see God's commands from every side. You know, like I pick up a piece of produce at the grocery store and turn it around, look at it from every angle. I think he wants us to examine it, turning it around, seeing all the angles. And I especially love that the psalmist calls God's testimonies my counselors. Mm -hmm. Uh, They advise me, you know, and also calling them your ways reminds me that his commands are my path like direction for my life. It's like when I was a teenager and we had, we didn't have GPS yet. Uh, That ages me a lot, but I had a paper map and my mom lived in Montgomery. My dad lived in Evans, Georgia. So I had to, my dad would, would highlight my route on my paper map and tell me what roads to take to go through Atlanta to get to Montgomery, Alabama. And he knew the best ways because mm. he had been a, a salesman, a traveling salesman for a lot of his life in the state of uh, of Georgia. So he knew the right way. So he'd highlight my route on the map and I trusted my daddy's route. So I would just follow that. And that's what it makes me think of that God loves me so much that he's marked out the way that these are his ways and they're good. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love the use. uh, I mean, the Psalms in general are just so great about the use of language. And so it is such a value to see all the different terms for God's law, his word and his boundaries. Um, it, It is such a beautiful way to see described who God is because it is his law, it's really who he is and how he prescribes his, like our lives based around who he is. And the more we read his word and know where he wants the boundary lies for us, the more we can rest in who he is. And it is very descriptive on all of these words, whether it's uh, the precepts, how we are to gather together, how we are to be counseled, um, how we are to know him more. All of these are just the boundary lines of the safe places. And I honestly love that you have Leslie and myself here on talking about God's word and his law or his boundary, because I am grew up as a complete 
rebellion, like a person who wants to test the boundary lines to see where they fall. And Leslie is a person who wants to stay in the boundary lines. You heard that in just her testimony right there. She (laughs) wants to follow the line, whereas I want to throw the map out the window and like drive (laughs) and see where we get there. And so this is a great picture of what the word and the boundary lines do for both types of personalities. Um, So it's a beautiful picture of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I liked how you said that you're, it's like a piece of fruit that you pick up and you're examining from all sides. And, and like you're saying, Shannon, boundary lines, they're not just this sort of fence, you know, one dimensional. Well, I guess a fence is more than one dimensional, but it just makes me think, you know, just this line and you can't cross it. It's, um, well, literally it's fleshed out in Jesus. He became the word, That's right. but it, it, it's so much deeper and broader and wider and it exists for so many different reasons. And, and I love that he uses these words to point to that. And you mentioned counselors and your way and precepts and law, and there is law and there is rules and there is ways things work, but they're not sort of this disconnected law. They're intimately connected to the lawgiver. They are who he is, his way. He doesn't just project away for us but kind of like your daddy he has gone that way he goes that way and we go with him so i love how y'all bringing that out yeah those are such good analogies and i love thinking about too how our god gives us his word and reveals himself in such a way that we understand that this is goodness like his righteousness is goodness like he's not like the other gods of this culture where they were capricious gods that demanded one thing one day and one thing the next and it was a moving target and he said no this is who i am i'm faithful i'm good i'm righteous i'm just i'm merciful all these ways that he's laid out he's made them apparent to us in his word i also love how it echoes psalm one so we know that that's you know like a bulwark psalm of the uh, book and it just is saying it starts off the exact same just how this is the way that leads to life blessed are those who walk in my way blessed are those who follow my righteousness so not only does the psalmist long for us to know God's word and just understand who he is on the page he wants us to obey it so in verse 20 we see he says my soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times and in verse 17 he says deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word so and I'm sure if you've been a, a listener for a little bit you've heard me talk about how obedience like the desire to obey is to me just such an evidence to me that the spirit is living and working in me and in his people because I know baseline Aaron was like if Shannon just like look pressing the boundary trying to get keep that good girl image like Leslie but just definitely like being subversive pushing out the boundary as far as I could without maybe getting caught and so for me to delight in the laws of the Lord is just a miracle so when we think about the psalmist saying that this is the law and this is good for you to obey it. Can we say like this psalmist, my soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. And do you think the goodness of your life to be bound up in keeping God's word? I realize that might not be like a cut and dried answer. Like there's some maybe work in progress going on. Y'all tell us a little bit about that. So I, I feel like this is really the process for myself of sanctification there is a constant because of my personality and constantly wanting to push the boundaries. I there is something in me that is always wanting to just uh, to question, to question, to question. And so, even as I read God's word, 
there is a deep desire within me to always know him, know who he is, even to the fullest extent. And so I'm constantly questioning, what, Lord, what did you mean by that? What does your word mean by that? I'm grateful that the rebellious spirit in me that pushed the boundaries when I was a youth uh, to, to see like, well, why can't I go over the boundary? Mm-hmm is now pushed more towards what did you mean by that lord is is what i'm being told really what you say to do that's beautiful yeah and so i i feel like i'm constantly in the process of evaluating what is man telling me versus what does what does the lord prescribe i love how you're describing that it's not so much that your personality changed but the motive of your heart has changed of who who you're wanting to question who you're wanting to serve yes and i think it's so pleasing to the lord that you bring your questions to him and he will show us like it's here the psalmist says teach me your ways lord yes and i do feel like he like there's a blessing in that like Mm -hmm. he's never asked me to change who he's designed me to Mm -hmm. be but I do feel like my heart is bent towards his word. I love his word. And and the the biggest blessing that I find, it talks about there is no shame. When I was a youth, I was full of shame. Mm-hmm. But when I am constantly questioning, Lord, help me know what your word says so that I'm true to your word. Mm-hmm. And there is no shame in that. I don't have to be in shame. Yeah. Safety and assurance. I love that. It's beautiful. It is. I love that too. I would love to say my soul is consumed with the longing for your rules at all times, Lord. (laughs) Um, I know I want other people to be consumed with obeying God's law. I want uh, my children to (laughs) obey. I want my friends and other drivers on the road around me. I wish (laughs) they were consumed with obeying. (laughs) But seriously, I do love God's word. Most mornings, I drag myself out of bed with the thought that I get to go sit in my favorite chair with a cup of coffee and my copy of God's word. I really do um, long to meet with him. And I love what he shows me in that chair. And I long for that obedience. I long for what I'm learning in that chair to go with me when I get up from that chair. Mm -hmm. I just... It makes me want to cry, you know, sanctify me in your truth. Your word is truth. Mm-hmm. I think my longing for the Lord's word can be attached to wrongly be attached to what will this do for for me, like for my image, for my sense of security. What can I give to myself by obeying versus the joy of I want to know you. I want to know your ways. I want to be in a love relationship in which I interact and in my world according to who you are and what you've shown me and what you've given me in that chair I take it out into the world and and we're definitely going to see that there are blessings that come from obedience but they're not disconnected from the one who gives them they're they're experienced in a love relationship with him and I think sometimes my soul could be consumed for longings for my agenda or how I want to go or my path or how I want my life to turn out or whatever and so I'm going to go to the Lord's word and see if I can get him to assist me in my previously plotted out path, but instead of just going to the word and saying, Lord, show me, instruct me, reroute me, you know, put me on a different path, teach me something I don't know and, and do it uh, in a love relationship in which I celebrate that and take my eyes off myself. So to me, 
part of of what is shown here in this psalm is the motivation. I mean, you cannot read this psalm and think that the psalmist is longing to obey God's word because he really wants um, to, you know, advance in his career. or He really wants to figure out things with his family or he really wants to whatever. He really wants to know the Lord's word so that he can praise him and honor him and live in relationship with him. And Kathleen in our study talks about the fact that to her, the stanza that contains verses 33 through 40 offers one of the most beautiful examples of requests and motives that are combined. So as y'all read those verses, how did it cause you to reexamine what you regularly ask for of God and why? And and how do you anticipate that praying these verses like that on a regular basis would change the way you live? Yeah. After re-looking at Psalm 119 with y'all, I was really challenged to start praying those specific verses before my quiet time each morning. Uh, I mean, because it's so good. Give me understanding them that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. I mean, I need that. Yeah. I'm, I can be so self-absorbed and, and too distracted by the busyness of life. Uh, I want the Lord to turn my eyes to him. Uh, it reminds me of that. Uh, that hymn, that old hymn, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I was uh, very, I mean, I I just pray to the Lord all the time, please let my life be bent towards your word and towards your law. Um, Not in a legalistic kind of way, but in a way that I just want to know him. I just want to know his emotions, his personality, his boundaries, and that my life would reflect that. And with a conscious knowing that I am imperfect, that my life is dust, Mm -hmm. and that uh, I am flesh, and he uh, knows that as well. And um that is just a prayer of my heart. The Lord has bent my heart towards that. And I'm grateful for it. I'm very grateful for it. That's amazing, Sheena. I love hearing that. I think for me, so many of my prayers are like help prayers or have mercy prayers. And I think those are worthwhile to pray. I think here that what kind of Leslie, you hit on this a little bit is that we need not just especially in our circles, I think that we can focus so much on just the didactic piece of Bible study where we're getting the facts. But this psalm, especially this um, passage that Amber's pulled out, it's helping us see that it's not just understanding the facts, like we have a heart, like you were talking about, Sheena, we have a heart after the Lord. He's changing our hearts to understand who he is, open up our eyes, experience the fullness of his presence in in worship and in his body. So I think that just having my heart bent toward that, praying for that, not just being my my prayer so self-focused on my personal deficits and the need and mercy that I need for me and or my family, but just opening up my eyes to see that my life is an offering to the Lord. Yeah. And like repetitively, he says in this, it keeps us from shame. Mm-hmm. And like that, I, I just, going back to Genesis, what kept Adam and Eve in hiding? Shame. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so just that idea that knowing who he is, knowing that he's the one who's going to seek us out, knowing mm-hmm. that he is the one who will clothe us. He he is that provider. He is all of these things. Keeps us out of shame. Yeah, we were just having a sidebar conversation about this, about how Christ's resurrection, his promised resurrection to his saints, that kind of hope doesn't put us to shame. Like that is where our ultimate hope is. And even now we get to experience some of that. It is incredible. It is to think of it that way. And and we we were also talking about the fact that if you don't serve, we don't necessarily always love that word. We like independence. You know, we serve ourselves. That's We don't serve anybody else. And I was listening to a sermon by Tim Keller on Psalm 119, and he talked about the fact that we are, of course, a culture who doesn't want to give anyone besides ourselves authority over us, that we think that true freedom is found in self-realized authority, I guess. I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but that we're our own authority and nobody else's. And he just made the point that we're deceived if we think that we are our, our own authority, that we're all driven by a master, whatever it is that we have to have, that we love. It's going to demand things of us. We're going to serve it. We're going to obey it. We're going to want something from it. And there is no other master besides the Lord who can both fulfill us and forgive us. So every other master, I mean, we know that if, you know, my let's say my body image is the thing I, I really want or one of the many things, it's never satisfied. It's always speaking shame to me. I'm all I never measure up. And when I fail, there's no forgiveness. There's just try harder. And with the Lord, there's forgiveness because we do fail to meet the law. And yet he steps in and forgives that. He satisfies that so that we are forgiven and then he fulfills us. And we do in sanctification learn what it means more and more to walk in obedience to his ways. And we find delight in that. And when we fail, we find forgiveness. And he just made the point there is no other master like that. And so we'll just think that's freedom from oppression. Like this is the kind of obedience that frees you from oppression and gives you life. Yeah. It's life-giving obedience. I love that. Yeah. So always at the end of Kathleen's study, she's asking us to think about Jesus and any Old Testament scripture we're reading. We can't properly understand it unless we're understanding it through the lens of Christ. So when we think of Psalm 119, especially thinking of the opening of John, like that prologue that talks about the word made flesh, like how does that help you see and love the Lord? Well, I just think of Jesus is the Word, and He is the Word made flesh, like you said. And even just back to creation, uh, that Jesus was there in creation, that He is there in Old Testament, and He's there in New Testament. Um, And even in the Psalm, as it's talking about the law, it's talking about His Word, he, he is there for, if this word is about for the Israelites, about the Torah, he is there for the Israelites. This is really the crux of my heart. I want to know him with all that is in me. I want to rest under his wing. Jesus did something for me that I could not do for myself, and that is provide my own salvation from everything. And I did something to him, which was crucify him. It's very hard for us as people. We're very easy to see where other people offend us, but it's very hard for us to see that we are offensive. Uh, 
my daughter asked me one time, what's the worst thing you ever did? Because I did have a rebellious upbringing childhood. The worst thing I ever did was hung Jesus on the cross. Mm. That's the worst thing I've ever done. Mm. It's very hard for us to recognize that. And Jesus paid the price for it. And he provided that salvation for me. And I want to know someone who would give up their life for me. And I want to know him in the most intimate way. And I don't know how to do that except to just submit to him and live within his boundaries and to say, teach me who you are. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this psalm is just a beautiful recognition of that. Mm -hmm. You said it, Shannon, uh, Jesus is the word made flesh. And the way that the psalmist in Psalm 119 describes the word those things can be applied to Jesus too. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And John 1, 4 through 5 says that in Jesus was life and the life was light, the light to men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So he's the light. He's my delight. He's my counselor. He's my comfort. He's my heritage. He's the joy of my heart. He gives life. He gives wisdom. He gives understanding. He gives hope. He gives peace. He gives help. He is the word in flesh. Just thinking about that just just now just gave me so much joy. Mm. He's the greatest treasure. He's better than gold. He's everything. He's the greatest treasure. And he obeyed this law perfectly mm -hmm. because I couldn't. I am a recovering legalist, but I cannot. I cannot follow this law. He did it. He did it perfectly. Mm. Well, and it reminds me of how Jesus says, I haven't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Mm. And you think about how he's talked about it in Hebrews as the author of our faith and the perfecter of our faith. And it's him we set our eyes on as we run that race of obedience. We know that one has already completed that race and that position that comes to us as a result of his finished race is guaranteed by him, not by whether or not or how well I run that race or don't run that race, how tired I get. I, my position with the Lord is guaranteed by the fact that the race has been run. And then when I'm running the race, you think the psalmist says here, you've enlarged, like enlarge my heart, Lord. And you just think about the fact that what Jesus did for on the, us on the cross and the pain, the penalty of our sins, he's also given us new life. Like we have a new life, a new heart. That's what you're talking about, Aaron. The fact that it's pretty miraculous. We want to know him, but we want to obey him. So I think about running a race and if my heart is small and hard, literally, and, you know, calcified or whatever, is it's not going to pump out what I need in order to keep running. But if my heart is enlarged, then I'm able to receive what I need to keep running. And it's like the Lord, he gives us what we need to live in obedience because obedience is what we need to live in covenantal relationship and covenantal relationship is what we need for delight in life. And it comes to us through Christ. That's so good, Amber. And it's not an oppression. It is like what you're talking about. It's not an oppressive master. It is a delight somehow yeah. miraculously that gives us that joy. Yeah. Yeah. 
Very good, ladies. Thanks for being with us, Leslie and Shannon. We appreciate you talking with me and Amber today. Listeners, if you want to see the pretty faces of our guests, check out our Women's Bible Study Facebook page at Women's Bible Study FPCA or find us on Instagram at First Pres Augusta Women. We'd love for you to join us again next week. Listen to us while you're putting on your makeup or while you're making snacks for the big game. We will be sitting down with special guest Dr. Mike Rasmussen and our sweet friend Liz Reed to talk about the Psalms of Ascent. We hope you will listen in. Sometimes a light surprises the Christian wife she sees. It is the Lord who rises with healing in His wings. When comforts are declining, He grants the soul again a season of pure shining to cheer it after the rain.